the Mike Tomlin Game Day Podcast with Steelers Digest Editor Bob Labriola. Okay, Coach, in situations where you have officials work practice in an effort to clean up the number of penalties, where do the officials come from and what are you looking for from those officials? Um, They're local um, collegiate and high school officials. Um, It's just good work for them. Uh, Some of those guys aspire, obviously, to ascend. Um, Part of their development is is the speed of the game, and so, boy, they get a chance to work, and so it's good for all parties involved. Um, Their presence just adds physical work to an agenda. Um, I stand in front of the group and say we need to clean the penalties up, so how do we go about it? Uh, We intensify um, our standards of expectations in a practice by by having officials and having them throw flags uh, when appropriate, and and most importantly, the dialogue post-play of why and what was the trigger in terms of creating the penalty. And so all done in an effort, obviously, um, to kick our own butts less um, because part of being a tough team to beat is not beating yourself. So would you compare it in any way to the period of training camp where the NFL officials visit, you know, on their training camp swing? No question. Um, the minute we put the pads on, I always want kind of officials there um, because it's just such a significant component of carrying pads. Um, and so it's highly emphasized at the early stages of the journey when we're no longer playing football in shorts um, because I want people to play clean. There's a competitive component to padded football um, that still needs to be clean. So we emphasize that at that point in the journey. And then we re introduce them at points in the journey where needed like we are right now because we're not getting the results that we desire. So when the team is having an issue with penalties, is the message to the players along the lines of cut that out, don't do that anymore, or is it more nuanced uh, teaching, for example, what uh, a defensive back or an offensive lineman might be able to get away with or what you shouldn't do around an official to draw a flag? It's both. If you're trying to get better at something, you better – drop multiple lines in the water. In some instances, it requires a, hey, cut that out. In other instances, it requires technical teaching and focus on fundamentals. And so, um, you know, we just don't subscribe to one one mode of operation, man. We're going to drop as many lines in the water as necessary to get the desired result. Uh, how did the decision to have Joey Porter Jr. follow DeAndre Hopkins come about? You know, Joey asked for it. Um, and, and for me... Um, particularly on an assignment like that, I think that's where it starts. Um, if I'm asking them, it's not as authentic. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Um, Ike Taylor used to ask for such matchups routinely. Um, and so, you know, I like doing business with guys of that mentality. Um, and so it didn't take me long to ponder it. I just wanted to make sure um, that it was beneficial for him and for us uh, in doing so, and it was. Uh, what kind of skill set? specifically uh, does a cornerback need that would allow that tactic to have a chance to be a success? Mindset more more over skill set, to be quite honest with you, man. Um, It's a down-in and down-out competition. Uh, It gets really personal, and it doesn't take long once the receiver realizes that you're waiting for him uh, to break the huddle and you're going in a certain direction. It gets personal really quickly. And so um, it's similar in basketball when somebody's trying to minimize a, a high score um, it, it gets personal really quickly. And so more so than a physical skill set, it better be a demeanor, it better be a mindset because it's going to be an all-day job. 
How would you evaluate James Daniels since he was signed as an unrestricted free agent, and what does his individual skill set bring to the offensive line as a unit? He's been really solid. Um, he's a good above-the-neck player. He works great in concert with others. It helps in games, two-man games and stuff in pass protection. He's a really solid run blocker. Uh, he's got built-in leverage. He's not an overly tall guy. I think it shows up consistently in a positive way in his run game in terms of getting under people uh, and winning that component of play. Um, obviously, he dealt with an injury a number of weeks back, and that kind of slowed the fluidity of this journey. Uh, but in general, it's been arrow pointed up. How is a right guard different than a left guard in terms of what a team is looking for from a player in those respective spots? It really just depends on the tandem. Um, the guy that's better equipped to be in one-on-one circumstances, you put him in more one-on-one circumstances. It has nothing really to do with the direction. Um, David DeCastro played right guard. He was an all-pro caliber player. Um, our center went left, and we're in more double teams to the side of Ramon Foster. No disrespect to Ramon Foster, but David DeCastro was a first-round pick and a Pro Bowl caliber player, and so we isolated him more. Uh, we pulled him more. Um, it has nothing really to do with right or left. Uh, it's about the tandem and who you want to ask to do what. As an example, NFL edge rushers often are call, uh, defensive end in college. So in terms of the pipeline from college football to the NFL, where are today's every down inside linebackers coming from when it comes to their background in college? They, they play inside linebacker. Um, you know, maybe some of them are oversized safeties in high school um, that – you know, are super athletic, and they develop into those athletic guys. But um, I, I think inside linebacker is a position that those guys have been playing that position generally all their lives. Um, every now and then you'll get an oversized safety um, that, you know, at 17 thinks he's a safety. At 21 he realizes he's a linebacker. Um, Thomas Davis, for example, uh, was an All-American safety at Georgia. Um, I told him he was a linebacker. Uh, going into the draft uh, that year he came out. I didn't, I didn't know if he liked it, but I just wanted to tell him the truth. Um, obviously, he was a linebacker. He played a long time at a high level uh, at inside linebacker. But generally, that's the only other avenue. That's one of those positions. Um, those guys generally play inside linebacker in Little League and stay there. When it comes to projecting defensive players from college to the NFL, is inside linebacker becoming the most difficult? No, I don't think so. Um, I, I really don't. Um, again, like you mentioned the edge rusher, for an example. Uh, you, you know, people don't edge rush in high school, man. It's, it's, it's not enough one-dimensional drop-back passing for them to impact the game. And so those guys are usually discovered. They discover that they're edge rushers in college. You know, you know top-flight top flight corners play free safety in high school because if they play corner, people just throw the ball away from them. You know, and so general, people generally find their home positions in college, to be quite honest with you. Um, there's the hybrid component of who's a 4-3 in and outside linebacker and, and that mesh. Um, but generally, you find your home transitioning from high school to college and not college to pro. 
Okay, today's opponent, the Green Bay Packers. Uh, Rich Basaccia is Green Bay's assistant head coach slash special teams. You worked with him when you were both assistants in Tampa in the early 2000s. He's now recognized as one of the top special team strategists in the NFL. Does he have a signature or a characteristic that's unique to him and his units? Hey, let's let's not start complimenting Basaccia. <laughs> no, I love him, man. Um, you know, he's got he's got really good leadership skills. He's an awesome communicator. And I think really that's what's required in that space. You know, he's bringing guys together from two different sides of the ball. There's some fluidity in that space. And I just think uh, his natural leadership skills and his communication skills and his ability to build rapport with people is a winning edge for him in that space. I work with him for for a number of years, and, and that's what I think about when I think about him. Does Danny Smith and his group have to be maybe more on guard for fakes or gadgets when you're going against the guy with his track record? You know, Danny Smith is one of those guys that people watch out for too, and so um, I'm sure they'll cancel each other out in some form of fashion today. Um, little known fact, man, those guys vacation in the Carolinas together during the summer. Their relationship is probably uh, runs deeper than mine with Richie. And so, um, you know, they'll be trying to trick each other. What do you remember about Jordan Love from your draft prep back in 2021? To be honest with you, I don't remember a lot at all. You know, we were kind of window shoppers and not real shoppers yet at that time. Obviously, I saw the talent and so forth, but I didn't do the type of leg work that would make you as comfortable with the intangible things that kind of define that position uh, as I was in, as I was well-versed, say, with Kenny's class. How would you describe Jordan Love as a player now that you've had a chance to watch him? You know, um, his mobility is more than I anticipated, um, and, and so there's some things to deal with there schematically, but but I don't know that that's new, to be quite honest with you. I always thought Aaron's mobility was underrated, and they utilized that. They weaponized that. Uh, obviously, his passing talents were so strong that you slept on that. And so there's some mobility things to be concerned about, most definitely. Um, he's got arm talent. He can make any throw on the field. Um, you see that. Um, but the mobility component is the thing that always captures your attention the first time you're in stadium with somebody. Because looking at it on video is different than feeling it in-game. And so we can't have this guy break out and convert a third down and eight with his legs before we recognize that it's a legitimate threat because we've lost a possession down, for example. We can't have this guy break contain on a boot and run down the sideline for 20 yards because that's a field-flipping play. And so uh, I don't want to see our group warm up to his mobility component of play. Uh, we got to believe what we see on tape. Buffalo's Josh Allen is a notable example of this, or maybe he's a notable exception. But generally speaking, is accuracy a skill that can be taught and refined once a college quarterback comes to the NFL? I, I, think, there's a, I think there's a window in their first contract where I think all guys improve in that area. Some guys more than others, but if you looked at anybody that's had a, 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 a lengthy career in the National Football League at that position, you see growth over the first, you know, one to three or one to four years in terms of, in terms of that statistic. I know you love your job, and I imagine there are things about it that are fun for you. What's fun about coaching this particular team as it navigates this particular journey? You know, um, they've quickly shown that they're not scared of big moments. Um, and let's be honest, man, like all teams don't run two big moments. 
Um, th- this group seems to have a collection of guys that want to make the splash play at the critical time. We've been in some tight ball games. I don't feel fear. Um, I feel guys that are playing to win at the weighty moments or the waning moments of games, and that's fun to be around. Can you nurture that, or do they come with it? Um, you, I, I work my tail off, obviously, to nurture it in terms of the situations that I put them in and 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 how transparent we are about competition and so forth. But, um, you know, that's a God-given thing from an individual perspective uh, that competes, that, that strong will. Uh, we look for it in the acquisition of players um, because we just realize how important it is. In terms of defensive strategy in a game where you want to double one of the opponent's wide receivers, what things would make that difficult, like alignments, formations, those kind of things? You know, at this level, man, given a full week to prepare, if we want to put two people on somebody, we're going to get them on them. Um, and not just us, everybody. Um, that's just kind of where where the game is today. Um, 15 years ago, man, I could talk about motions and, and moving a guy and trying to hide a guy with structure and it being somewhat competitive, somewhat challenging. But the game has evolved to that point. These guys have been – doubling and identifying dangerous people since high school. It's just kind of the schematic evolution of the game. Um, It's very difficult to hire a guy if people want to put two people on him. That's the Mike Tomlin Game Day Podcast. Subscribe and download new episodes every week and check out all of the other shows we have to offer on the Steelers Podcast Network that's available on the Steelers mobile app, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.